dear podcast friends, welcome to Insights and Beyond, Digitalization, Sustainability and Technology. The podcast by Trelleborg Ceiling Solutions. You're in the right place if you're interested in the driving questions around topics like digitalization, electrification and sustainability. And above all, if you want to participate in a discussion with your exciting questions and comments. Experience the talks with our experts from Trelleborg and specialists from business, industry and research. So have fun with a new episode of Insights and Beyond. I had pasta tonight. Sounds like an ordinary sentence, a piece of information about what you ate at the evening. Okay, well, the time could be confusing, but otherwise the sentence sounds harmless. The TikTok AI thought or rather categorized it that way too and trend the posts about it. A momentous decision because behind the harmless sentence hit a call for help with which one wanted to signal suicidal intentions. So how helpful is AI if it only analyzes but does not interpret? What does this mean for business applications and decisions? And what other development opportunities are there? I'm super excited to hear the answers to these questions. So I extend a very warm welcome to two experts, Dr. Sven Körner, founder of Things Thinking, and Dr. Johannes Kunze from Bischofshausen, Director Digital Transformation at Trelleborg Ceiling Solutions. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Hello. First of all, I have to ask that question. When and what, of course, was your last misunderstanding with the machine? Sven. Um, the very last one was with my wife when she went to the pharmacy and she wanted to send me a message and wrote, or she wanted to write, I'm going to the pharmacy, you need anything. And the message I received was, going to the pharmacy, do you need AIDS? <laughs> And I, I actually answered, uh, I don't think so. Um, I'm, I'm good, thank you. And you neither, right? <laughs> no, and, and, and she was completely confused because of my answer. Because, I mean, obviously the way she told it to the phone was, I mean, for her made absolute sense. But whatever I got as a text didn't. So my reply was for her Yeah, very confusing as well. Yeah, I often also send those uh, creepy messages because I always uh, I always talk and, and, and dict uh, dictate it. I don't write it anymore. And sometimes it's really confusing for the people. So uh, what was it for you? It was specifically about a, a very damp algorithm for, for dynamic pricing. And there was one of our on, of a courses of a course for an employee um, for an online training. And uh, the price was, when we looked the first time, it was 15 euros then when we looked the second time it was uh, 99 euros and then we just used the the anonymous function of of the browser looked it up again and it was 15 euros again uh, euros again so you can see that sometimes it's really ai is still very dumb or maybe very smart i mean that that signals that you're very interested in that product so that ai thought okay let's make it a little bit more expensive <laughs> So, uh, we've got a lot of questions today uh, from our audience. Uh, some of the questions uh, we received at the Trelleborg Ceiling Conference last year in November. And some of the questions reached us from our audience of the podcast here. So, it's a mixed question uh, package we have. And I hope we're going to answer all of them. But first of all, uh, we have two format uh, questions and I want to ask them. So, for all those who are joining us the first time, we also have some questions. 
questions uh, which are repeating themselves. And right now the question is, if someone were to give a book title about your plans on digitization in 2021, what would be the title of it? I would call it the uh, first rule of artificial intelligence, which is the hard things are easy and the easy things are hard. Which is also very philosophical. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Johannes, what would you say? It would be standardization of AI moving from one-off projects to standardized solutions. This is not that uh, philosophical, but I think it's very helpful for our everyday life and would be also better, in my opinion. Uh, second question. Everyone is talking about digital transformation. What question do we have to ask ourselves that the new normal also means transformations or real digital transformation? So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is how do we keep the momentum? Because the reality is we are just starting with digital transformation. And, and what we have seen, the new normal, um, that's just the, really the, the tip of the iceberg. We, we see that the communication tools take off. We see that remote, remote working is new normal and, and that's taking off. Um, but that's really not changing the way we work. We're still working in the same way. We're having meetings um, now virtually, but it's it's not about a real transformation. It's not about changing the way we worked and using tools such as AI in our day-to-day -day operations. And that is really the question. So how do we keep the momentum to really enable the digital transformation instead of just starting and, and just on the surface like and using tools like uh, like Zoom and Teams? Yeah, that's when a proverb comes true, a bad analog process. Uh, if you digitalize them, it's still a bad digitalized uh, process um, in the end. Uh, Sven, what would you say? What is the most important question we have to ask ourselves to make um, the new normal really a digital transformation so we make a change? Yeah, I would say it's not even a question because essentially um, that question is going to be answered with or without us. And quoting Melinda Gates here is, um, if you don't set your own agenda, someone else will set it for you. And there are so many other people, countries and cultures out there who are progressing slightly faster than we are today in that specific area of artificial intelligence and the new normal. And whether we want to you know, follow in these footsteps or do something or not, that question is not going to be a question because it's going to happen. It's going to either happen with us, best case scenario, it's going to happen from us, or it's just going to happen, say, over us. And, you know, someone else is going to decide for us because we won't, we won't be asked after. And so it's, it's more like a risk assessment. And I don't think there's, there's any other option. Risk assessment. That sounds also very interesting. So um, before we come to our questions from the audience, let me ask you one question before, Sven. Your company focuses on the semantic side of AI technology. How does it work and how does AI probably understands us? Mm -hmm. um, well, the thing is, I mean, talking about semantics is that we humans are essentially semantic machines. Everything we do is, is based on the meaning, especially when we talk and write and discuss things. And not everything we do can be learned in terms of like um, looking at things like in, in, in brain research, there are a 10 by the power of 14, I'm thinking, connections in our brain. Um, if we're learning our whole life, this means we're going to learn for 10 to the power of 10 seconds. That's going to be our whole life, right? It's, it's actually longer than a whole life. It's like 130 years. And even if we did that, 
turns out we have to learn 10 with a power of four things per second. And I don't think anyone in the podcast has the feeling that you're learning a thousand new things every second ever since you were born. That's just not true. So a lot of the stuff we're doing is based on the understanding of what we have. And that's already there. And from there on, we generalize on all the things we do. And that's exactly what semantics is. And machines used to be notoriously bad at that. And we're trying to make them a lot better so they can kind of get that kind of, what we humans call common sense. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but sometimes we still have problems. Uh, Human-to-human -human communication is also uh, fully packed of misunderstandings. Oh, so yeah. we, oh, yeah. we shouldn't expect that much from, from the AI. But um, before we come to the point, if that is really relevant for the industry, Johannes, I want to ask a question from the audience because I think that's a good fit at the point. Um, I read on your website, Sven, that you don't use a huge database for your, uh, for your AI application. So here's a question from the audience. Is AI only possible with a huge database? Um, the answer is a classical yes and no. We actually do have a huge database in the back end of stuff that the system already learned and saw, but we need a lot less information or small data, what it's called, um, to actually being able to do things. Like if I talking to a human and I tell you things you haven't heard before, again, you'll be able to generalize on that and other stuff you know, and then probably still make meaning of it. And that's exactly what we're trying to teach the machine, because this is, this is how our daily life works. And this is mostly the problem of classical AI issues that you, you know, you're saying we need much more data. And the honest answer would be, I don't think we can solve this today because we don't have the data yet. And therefore semantics is your only way out. So this is the honest answer. <laughs> we have no clue how we can do it. Um, but uh, speaking of the semantics uh, of AI, that part, is that really interesting for the industry? I mean, in my opinion, there are a lot of machines working together. So machine to machine communication, is it? And, and they are communicating via numbers. So is it really important uh, and to have an, a semantic side of AI for the industry? That is extremely important if you want to do analytics across the the entire manufacturing process. So um, if you're just if, if you're just looking at one machine and even or at multiple machines from the same vendor, semantics is not a big issue. But in fact, machines by, um, for example, injection molding machines speak very different languages, and the temperature in this machine is annotated in a different way than a temperature in, in another machine, although they, they have the same meaning. So data integration, which is one fundamental part of, of, of the whole digital transformation journey in, in manufacturing, is a very crucial application of, um, of semantic technology. So definitely semantic technologies have their place in, um, in the industry and can be really helpful. That sounds, to be honest, very complex so far. And I want to make it a little bit more uh, complex. So uh, I want to target out one thing because, um, in my opinion, that could be a big issue. But uh, since I have two experts here on site, I ask them. Um, I don't know if everyone is familiar with the um, lingual world, uh, word embeddings. In short, there's a lot of data only in major languages and very, very often in English. Um, so how do we get cross-lingual word embeddings right? And what does that mean for the Maybe, for example, for the German uh, business world, is it is it a disadvantage for us that everything is in, in, in English, so we're always way behind the uh, U.S. market? 
or the English-speaking uh, countries? Um, so, well, essentially, as you mentioned, those word embeddings, they're, they're pretty good baselines, um, especially when you have a popular language, and English is probably the most prominent language on the Internet. Um, but one thing we'd, we'd have to also take into account is that using that kind of technology, which you have to retrain, fine-tune, and all the other stuff that the experts know, they tend to be, depending on how they use them, one-trick ponies. So they're pretty good at one thing that you try to teach them, which is also costly and takes a long time. Um, but they, they do not transfer very well to other tasks. So even if you have a lot of more training data on English, yes, that might be an advantage if you're English, but it's still a one-trick pony. Um, so I wouldn't be, I wouldn't see too problematic that the other languages are not, not that much, or there's not that much available because I mean, honestly, from the 27 languages that we have in the European union, um, there's a lot of information available that you can use to, to teach an AI. So the one trick pony, I learned a very cool, uh, expression right now, but that's uh, probably a good point because, um, I think it would be perfect if AI could solve problems. If you, if you take the approach that you say, okay, if the AI can solve that problem, I can use it for another issue. And then, uh, that AI can learn something, um, from that problem and then use it for another one. So this isn't, uh, working, right? So you could just can, as, as Sven mentioned right now, you could just can use it for one, uh, specific, uh, issue, for example. Is it really the same in the industry or is it more like the semantics, uh, part? of it um it depends on the use case after all so so there are some concepts that that help to scale up ai and and really transfer um transfer knowledge from one application to the other one one example um we we currently work on is visual inspection so a defect looks very similar if it's a small seal or a larger gasket gasket for example if it's an unfilled part And and that is something that a, that a human is would be able to interpret. A, a machine takes a little bit more effort to transfer this in in a, in a machine, but in the end, um, that is a very strong business case for more harmonized AI across different visual inspection machines, for example, uh, across different lines, or finally even across different plants. So it depends on the use case um, if if you can transfer some learning or not. But overall, um, the, the bigger the database is the, the, and, and the more applications you actually have, the strongest the business case. Yeah, transfer learning. That was my biggest skills in school time back then. <laughs> so I can understand that this is really a huge, huge uh, topic for AI. But um, for those who are joining us the first time, I want to explain something right now because uh, we always have... A solution or sci-fi statement. That means I read out a line and our experts uh, are telling me if that is, well, kind of a solution for the future. So it's true or could be come true. And uh, on the other hand, uh, it could be also a sci-fi idea of my creative mind. So let's check our sci-fi solution statement. Without an understanding and interpreting AI, there won't be an efficient industry 4.0. What would you say? Is that sci-fi or solution, Johannes? So that's kind of sci-fi because there is already a lot of value if you um, digitize what, what you have, if you um, bring data together and and even if you're not uh, able to interpret them or if the machine is not able to interpret them in 
in at a full scale, then you can still gain a lot. So bad sci-fi movie title. What would you say, Sven? Is it is it a sci-fi or a solution? Well, it is the the way you phrased it and the way you ask it. It is sci-fi because I agree with Johannes that this is also something we we have today, and it doesn't need to have full understanding to help us in our processes, right? Like an Excel spreadsheet doesn't really know what you're doing with it. It still helps you adding up the numbers um, rather than having to do it manually with a pen and paper. Um, the same thing applies here, I think. But it'll be a nice sci-fi idea if we ever get this working um though i don't know if that's going to happen in our lifetime M maybe yeah maybe we can extend our life with some technology we don't know yet um but speaking of uh industry 4.0 i always have and that's an outside perspective of course uh, i always have the feeling that we're Sometimes we're not in that uh, transformation part. Some some companies haven't even started the industry 4.0. Is that is that right, or is it just a idea from an outside perspective? Mm. So it, it depends on in which industry you look at and and what kind of company you look at. So for example, the OEMs, machine vendors, may it be a, an injection molding machine or may it be a CNC turning machine. Then definitely they they. Digital transformation is ongoing at full speed, and and every machine you buy today has a has a standard interface and and is able to to send data and and is even uh, most of them even have a have a software ready to use with their machines. But then um, you have to look at what are the the uses of of those machines are doing, and and typically those machines you buy it you don't buy. You don't replace all the machines suddenly, but you have to replace them one by one, and and therefore it takes some time. Um, and it's even more complex if you have multiple vendors. Um, so we are um, kind of progressing. Uh, we are in the middle. Depends on on what kind of company size you have. Um, that is one part of the of the connectivity. Interestingly enough, um, in Industry 4.0, we didn't focus so much on AI in the beginning. But um, like as a and specifically in in Europe, but but uh, also in Germany. Um, having a, a background, an industrial background, and very much very good at engineering machines, the the first focus was really just on equipping with sensors and and uh, transferring data and so on. But it's not about a smart way of of making use of those data sources, and that is more and more taking off. And now also also in Europe, while in the US they have always been had a strong focus with their industrial internet um, initiative on, on, on the AI part, on the data analytics part of it. Yeah, it's not an advantage to have something digitized, but it must be smart. That's also a very good point. Um, I still have some questions from the audience and I want to ask uh, the next question. Um, and this is a major challenge to people's acceptance uh, acceptance of AI is overcoming the perception they have of the potentially high number of jobs destroyed. How can this be solved? Sven, what do you think? Um Well, first of which, that is usually not the case. Um, it, it is maybe a dream of the people that are doing the accounting that they can get rid of that and that many people once an AI does it. But realistically speaking, AI is just, you know, best case scenario, improve your quality and speed up the process. Um, or as I say, if you want to make a cappuccino, you will need milk. And somewhere down the line, there has to be a cow as of today. There's no way around that. Um, oh, if you need cow milk, 
And I, I want to say you can yeah, you can you, use you soy, oat milk then yeah, it's something different. Old, yeah. yeah. But so. then you oat, you need something in the beginning, okay? <laughs> let's 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 just say that. And and that, and that's the same there's a lot of stuff we do every day and just talking about a car manufacturer we talked to actually 5 years ago um, and they said, well, we do this and this. It's a manual process and requirements engineering. Just loads and loads of documents they got to sift through. And it's, it's just very tedious for a human to, to walk, work, work through that information. And we showed that AI can tremendously speed up that process, right? And it's, it's still more like a mindset where they said, well, but I don't see the business case. And my counter question was, how many people do you have in your company that actually do that, which is an not justifying that right now, but essentially they're shuffling Word documents from left to right. And they're very highly skilled engineers because they have to understand what they're doing. And that person looks at you and says, 8,000. And then I didn't know how to reply because, again, that person did not see a business case. I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. Now, these 8,000 engineers, you, you couldn't get rid of them. But they don't have to do the, I got to read through this whole thing. It'll take me four days and hopefully I don't you know, overlook something and miss something because that's going to be bad further down the road because in six years we're going to have to call back all the cars because we missed a piece. And that happens every day. It's just going to be super expensive. And all of a sudden, $150 million are gone because you made a mistake seven years ago in a Word document, right? And there's so many examples where that happens. And we say, trust me, there a machine might be able to help you. It's not going to be perfect, but it will definitely help you. Yeah, if an innovation doesn't serve the people, we should, probably shouldn't use it. That's also my opinion. And that that is a really cool uh, example of how AI can really help and assist us. It's not about uh, reducing jobs. Of course, to be honest, there will be jobs reduced. Um, but it's also about how can AI help us in our everyday life and, of course, in our work life. Um, Johannes, when I have a look at the OEM manufacturers, if you look at the product lines, for example, you see that people and machines they are already working hand in hand and it's probably a good, good way to um, manufacture a car. Do you also have such examples from, from a uh, supplier perspective where you say, yeah, this is really good working for us and our employees? So it's not, not so much about the, the um, collaboration between humans and, and robots because that's mainly in assembly. But um, in our uh, manufacturing processes, it is mainly about automating cells and, and automating, for example, um, the movement of parts, even with con conveyor belts and or automating the, the visual inspection process. But that does not have to mean that jobs are lost or that we had to, to fire people, actually. It's really what prevents us from firing people is um, skilling people up. So, Every one of us, and it, it doesn't matter if, if it's an operator in, in the shop floor or if it's a manager of, of a plant, has to upskill in terms of digitization. And, and this we have one example in, in, a, in a site in the US where an operator of a, of a machine, her job was, was basically superfluous because of the automation of the cell. Um, but she was offered by Trelleborg to become a CNC programmer. And today she is one of the best CNC programmers in the group and the best one in in the um in the plant so that is an example where um you see that automation and digitization does not mean that jobs are immediately lost but of course some tasks are superfluous but the answer to this is really to skill up and and learn new things and continuous learning yeah we don't want to um 
dive in deep into the fears of uh, against AI, we want to show the advantages of using it. So I like the next question of our audience. How will AI enable new business models like, for example, vehicle machine as a service, but also, of course, in general, how can AI enable new business models? Sven, what you, would you say? I'm thinking the uh, the best business models have yet to be discovered. Um, and, and this will happen once we really get to a point where average people in a good way um, are the ones who use and understand AI because this is you know this is where the gold is buried they have a lot of ideas they have a lot of issues they have stuff they're doing every day whether that's in the business world whether that's in life sciences anywhere it doesn't matter there's a lot of people who do things every day where they say if a machine could do that if I had this fairy that would you know just grant me that wish that would be so awesome whether that might be saving lives or whatever it might be And we have just to start make sure that people start to apply these kind of technologies and then those use cases will just pop up. Like, and again, the analogy a lot of people are stressing is cell electricity, right? I mean, the first time they were playing with that, it was obviously light, but then someone else came up with the idea like, oh, we can actually move a motor with that. And once you can move a motor with that, we can make a compressor. Once you can make a compressor, we can actually cool stuff. And all of a sudden everyone has a fridge. Um, so, so these ideas will come once the technology is being applied by people and it And it shouldn't be applied just by us techies because we're freaking techies. We don't have any idea about the world, to be honest, right? The real people should be using that and go like, ha, huh, electricity, I got it. We need a fridge, right? And, and then the fun part starts because that's going to be good for everyone. There's this proverb, the future belongs to the nerds because everyone else doesn't want it. But we're here to create good, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to create a future for every one of us. Um, and uh, Johannes, I, I have to ask, are there any ideas so far to make I can't imagine how it could work, but maybe do you have any ideas for a ceiling as a service? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so Definitely, that's something we looked already a couple of years ago and, and, and thought about a business concept behind it. Um, but there is still a way to go. Um, and so when does um, asset as a service make sense overall? It makes sense um, when the provider is able to manage the risk better than the user. So, for example, a machine vendor is able to um, able to provide its machine as a service and 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 um, and the user has to pay per hour of usage um, when he's able to um, remotely uh, remotely measure what what the user is doing with it um, when he's able to maybe even predict when the machine will fail and he can calculate his business model and his his uh, service fees accordingly. Um, that is not the reality for SEALs and, and um, the reality is also even for the OEMs, that's not the reality as of today. We are moving into this direction, but this is not going to happen overnight. Yeah, Rome wasn't built in one day. So we have to be patient, but I learned a lot so far. But at the end, I want to make the ceiling test for those who are listening to our podcasts uh, every time. Uh, for you, you know what's coming up next. But for those who are joining us the first time, we're doing a ceiling test. And for ceilings, uh, there for ceiling solution, there is one capability or 
let's say two capabilities we are uh, which are very very important and one of them is resilience and the other one is flexibility resilience means um, the capability of a material to return into back into its initial state after a huge pressure for example rubber would be a great example for that and of course the flexibility part so therefore i've got a question the ceiling test for uh, digitization where do we need to become more resilient to drive digitization forward and where do we have to become more flexible to do so? Sven? I'm going to approach this slightly uh, philosophically, I guess. Um, resilience is going to feel for those who are inflexible in the future, and it, I guess it always has been that way. Um, it's going to feel like impertinence for, for most of the people because it's just someone's going to push you in a direction you don't want to go. But as I mentioned in the very beginning of that podcast, the world's not going to ask you whether you want to join it. It's going to happen and we should we should join it because otherwise someone else is going to make our agenda. Yeah, we're not just joining it. We're also shaping it. At least that's what... That would Drelleborg. be perfect. <laughs> that was uh, what uh, Drelleborg is doing, uh, right, Johannes? Definitely. And where do we need more resilience? It's um, it's more resilience in, in terms of adopt technology adoption. So even in 1998, there was already the idea from, from Tim Berners-Lee um, with the semantic web and, and the vision painted. And there has been tons of research projects, even research projects with industry about applying the um, semantic technologies in practice. But the reality was it was always a niche. It was never really fully adopted. And only within the last years, it really takes off. And and therefore, um, that's a good example that sometimes technology is, is maybe overhyped in the, uh, in the early days, but then it takes a while until it becomes really productive and, and really uh, generates value. And second, where do we need flexibility? It's more flexibility in in uh, in working with experts in those technology. And this this might come from research. This might come from startups, or it might uh, might be a vendor um, that has specific domain knowledge. So uh, more flexibility, not thinking in about only the big uh, big IT providers, but really thinking about how will my future supply chain of digital tools look like. Yeah, so creating our good and valuable future is um, a task and a responsibility for the whole gen uh, the whole um, society. So I'm totally with you. These are very great last sentences so i can't add anything <laughs> which is useful to your sentences and statements at the end i learned a lot thank you so much i learned a lot about uh, cows and ponies and uh, yeah i'm pretty uh, sure that we're gonna talk soon again it was very very interesting thanks for your time and of course thanks for all the insights thanks for having me thanks Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you don't want to miss anything, just subscribe to our podcast. And of course, we are happy to receive feedback from you. So we're looking forward to your ratings and comments. And of course, we still want to answer your questions. Therefore, feel free to write us at info.podcasts at Thanks a lot and see you next time.